Kim Schmidt, Executive Editor of Farm Equipment. Welcome to the latest episode of our podcast, Principles of Dealership Management with Dr. Jim Weber. During this five-part series, Dr. Weber and editor-publisher Mike Lesseter discuss dealer management best practices based on Weber's 40-plus years working with dealers and manufacturers in the ag, construction, and other industries. In this episode, we pick the conversation up with Mike and Dr. Weber discussing dealership profitability. Before we head over to Mike's conversation with Dr. Weber, I wanted to thank our sponsor, Previous by Basic Software, for making this new series possible. Are you tired of having the ability to access your business outside of the office? Previous by Basic Software Systems is a web-based responsive software that puts your business in your hands with full access from anywhere, anytime. No limited apps and no other connections required, just internet access. Wouldn't you love to see the data you want with one simple click or tap? With Premis, customize your views to show exactly what you want to see when you want to see it. And our system's multiple layers of data allow you to go deeper with your information. Premis truly is your business system in your pocket. To learn more, visit www.basic-software.com slash Like all our podcasts, you can subscribe via Google Play, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher Radio, and Spotify. By subscribing, you're alerted when each new podcast is released. Also, be sure to head over to farm-equipment.com for the latest industry news. Okay, let's get going. Here's part four of Mike Lester's exclusive one-on-one interview with Dr. Jim Weber. Are we coming to a time where that is just simply going to be compulsory in this business that, you know, there's some haven't made that adjustment yet. Still family-owned, hey, we're all shucks, neighbor things where you're going to take care of the customers, but... Are we getting to a point where there, there's no way out of this but to be a high-performing, professionally managed I, organization? I, I, I happen to believe so. I mean, again, look, if, if you're a dealership and you want to skirt by with your 2% bottom line profitability, and that's where the average has been over the last several years. I mean, we're sitting there running our 2%. A couple years ago, we got up in like when the commodity prices were $7 for corn, $12 for beans. We saw some dealerships, not some, we saw the average get up to be like 3.1%. It was the highest it had ever been ever. I mean, I've been tracking these numbers back to 1980 for crying out loud. So they reached the highest point. Now, this is the average coming out of the cost of doing business. So we saw, I think, one year where it reached over 3%. Why did it get to over 3%? It wasn't because of management. It wasn't because of leadership. It was because the commodity prices were high and farmers were buying a lot of, a lot of money, a lot of, a lot of new machinery. So it ratcheted up to sales and, show, again, they showed a lot of paper profits. I would submit to you, if we went back and looked at their cash, their cash hadn't increased as much because the back lot was filled up with the used equipment that they were unable or didn't have the discipline to follow and, and work toward a benchmark of a three times turn because the, the turn never got above a three, yet we showed a 3% bottom line profitability. So what we will see in the future is it will repeat as it as it has now. We've retreated back to about a one percent, a one point six percent. This is this is staggering. I mean, when you when you think about dealerships running fifty million dollars, a hundred million dollars, two hundred million dollars in sales, and this we're looking at an industry average, and they're sitting there making one point six percent. So if I'm doing a million dollars, I'm making one point six cents on the dollar. If I'm doing ten million dollars, I got one hundred sixty thousand dollars of profitability. If I'm doing $100 million, I got $1.6 million of profitability. You know, see, again, if we if we sat down with a typical employee in a dealership and we said, gee, we made $1.6 million last year, a typical employee, service technician, parts, oh my God, oh my God, I want to raise. And I'm simply saying, wait, no, no. What you've got to do is you've got to educate the employee. 1.6 cents on the dollar? 
I close the doors. I don't know. I don't know why employ. I don't know why dealers. And again, maybe it's because they grew up in it. Maybe because they inherited from their father. I don't. I don't know. Maybe they don't want to go out and get a job in the real world. I don't. I don't get it. But anybody that would be interested in accepting one point six cents on a dollar is beyond my small brain to comprehend. I mean, they, they have to, even five cents. When I talk about making five cents on a dollar, I'm sitting here saying, my God, look, I'm in a, I've, I happened to visit a Culver's recently. Great Midwestern company in your, in your neck of the woods from Wisconsin, right? So I sat down with a Culver's store manager in St. Petersburg, Florida. I told my wife 10 years ago, we should open a Culver's. And she said, oh my gosh, you must be out of your mind. You're, you know, no, She didn't know anything about Culver's and never been into it. I took her one into St. Petersburg in the last year. So anyway, I introduced myself to the store manager. He's a minority owner, owns 29% of the business. The dealer printer, the franchisee is a man from Wisconsin, has 71% of the business. He, he hired this young kid from the University of Wisconsin out of Madison to manage it. He put some money in, 29% ownership equity position. So I sat down and said, sit down, let me visit with you for a little bit. Ask him about bottom line profitability. You know what a Culver's makes bottom line profitability? Now this store is gonna do about $2.2 million. $2.2 million. They're gonna knock down 17% bottom line profitability. Now, I took my wife to a Dairy Queen. So this is the way I treat my wife for 45 years. <laughs> see, we go out for the five-buck lunch, and I take her to the Dairy Queen. And so I see this woman cleaning tables. And I said, are you the manager? And she said, I'm the franchisee. I, I own it. She said, my husband and I were living in California, and we wanted to get out of California. And I don't blame him. I wanted to get out of California. So we moved this is in Seminole, Florida, right outside of St. Petersburg, Florida. And I said, what, could you sit down for a few minutes? And again, I asked her the same kind of question. If you don't mind my asking, see, I like to profile people. And we're talking about the volume. And again, this is a Dairy Queen selling blizzards and five buck lunches. And I said, what, what, what do you, uh, what kind of volume will you do in a store? She said, we'll do about $2 million in a store. And we have another location. So we're doing, we have two locations. And if you don't mind my asking, ma'am, what kind of bottom line profitability would you make in a store doing $2 million? Well, we knocked down about 22%. So you're knocking down about $440,000. And you pay yourself pretty well. Yes. Is that included in the is that included in the four hundred forty thousand dollars or is that over and above? She said that's over and above. Now I say to my dealers that are going to go out there and want to make their one percent, one point six eight percent, two percent. What are you doing? Cash out, take your money, and go open a Dairy Queen. Go open a Culver's for crying out loud! What are we doing here with all of the money that we've got invested in? Work in process, in used equipment, in accounts receivables, in new equipment, in parts inventory to make two cents on a dollar. I'll go sell freaking blizzards. I mean, it's, no, it's, it's, it's incredible. But again, what would they have to do? They'd still have to manage people. Good, good story. I know I had no idea what the margins were. Unbelievable. Were like there. Unbelievable. Don't you love those butter burgers from your home state of Wisconsin? Yeah, we're, we're God, I love them, man. Hey, and that concrete mixer, I don't mind them making that 20% margin on me. I love those concrete mixers. Go ahead. Fire away, baby. Give me another one. I'm getting fired up here. We'll get back to Mike and Dr. Weber in a moment, but first I wanted to take a quick second to thank our sponsor, Previous by Basic Software. To learn more about what Previous can do for your dealership, visit www.basic-software.com slash Okay, let's get back to the program and listen in as Mike and Dr. Weber continue talking about Weber's confrontational style and how he challenges the dealers he works with. You and I uh, were both coming back from Regina I don't know how many years ago, 10 or 15 years ago. That's when I was a lot into the, into the country. Okay, yeah. Well, I remember you and I ended up killing a couple hours at Delta Sky Club, and we started talking about how we might um, work together. 
at some point. And I remember something vividly from that because you were telling me about your style of uh, working with dealer groups. And I remember it vividly because you said, you should come sometime because you'll be amazed at how much I challenge these people, in fact, confront these people about it. I want to just have you explain your your style and how you arrived at that style and how it works for well, you. Well, I think better, better than asking me, maybe you ought to ask the dealers that have listened to me over the years. The fact of the matter is it is confrontational. But here's what I've started to say recently over the last two years. Any training session I start off with, I say that it is a challenging session. It's not designed for the faint of heart. I'm not going to come in here and blow smoke at you. I'm going to lay the numbers out. I'm going to expect you to respond. Um, if you are insecure, you're not going to like the presentation. If you're dumb, if you're stupid, you're going to hate the presentation because it's a challenging, it's a challenging way. Now, whether I'm doing it in a presentation or whether it's doing a training session, it is not designed for insecure people. So if you're one of those individuals that want to sit in the back of the room and you went to college and you sat in the back of the room and just took your copious notes and you kept your head down and just prayed to God that the instructor never called on you, you would hate my, my, my presentation because my presentation is designed to keep you engaged with me 100% of the time. Now, dumb people, see my wife being a real behavioral <laughs> person, she said, no, you shouldn't call them dumb. That's not very nice of you, Jimmy. They're, they're just, they mean well. But see, dumb people sit in there and they say, well, he tried to humiliate me or he tried to embarrass me or he tried to cajole an answer out of me. No. They didn't get it. You see, they're not getting it. My response has been, and my approach has been, the pedagogical approach I use is to always keep you engaged with me 100% of the time. The same thing this morning. That's why I walk around the room. That's why I'm eye contact with everybody. It's not to embarrass them. It's not to humiliate them. It's to keep them with me 100% of the time. Why? Because what I have to offer is so, critically, so critically important to the success of their business. I don't want people when they're texting calling them. This, this texting business is just another one of my pet peeves for crying out loud. I want them to be focused, not because I'm so great, not because I have such a melodious voice, not because I'm so good looking. No, but because of the message I have to give you is going to be extraordinarily beneficial for you back in the dealership. Is it confrontational? Look, one of the first training sessions I ever did was in Des Moines, Iowa, Massey Ferguson dealership 35 years ago. And it was brutal. I was tough on people. I'm weak anymore. I'm just weak. As I approach senior citizen status, I just, I just want everybody to love me now. But back 35 years ago, I was a tough guy. And so back then, Massey Ferguson used to have, as did Case IH several years later, used to have a cocktail party every night after the training session. And there was an individual in that room who had quite a bit of alcohol in him. And he came walking up to me and he handed me a 357 Magnum bullet. And my initials, J-O-W, were carved into the side of that bullet. And he said, the next time that you call on me, I'm not going to be handing this bullet to you. Now, I will tell you, the oh, oh, <laughs> true, true story. Wow. You, true story. So the next morning, Tuesday morning, it happened to be the, the end of the first day. Tuesday morning, I went right to that guy and I nailed him for the next four hours. Yeah. I stayed on him like you couldn't believe. <laughs> then I will have to tell you, I ran to the room, closed my blinds <laughs> and hid in my room for the next two days while my partner took over. And then I came back in for the yeah. close at that point. My, my job was always, if you go back when I had a partner, and I had a partner for 10 years from 82 to 92, 
we would do training. I would always, I wanted to open and I wanted to close. I didn't care what took place in the middle of the session. I wanted to do the opening and the opening was brutal and I'd stayed on top of them. Again, the 80s, I don't know if you were around in the 80s, but the wheels were falling off the tractors worldwide and specifically in the United States. I mean, we were losing 50% of the dealers. We went from 11,000 dealers in 1980 to 5,500 dealers in 1990. So we lost 50% in the marketplace. I'm not in there telling them how great things are. I wasn't in there telling them how wonderful they were as managers. I was not going to blow smoke at them and say, gee, things are great. No, it was guys, get in, get in line here. Let's get the job done the way we need to get done. So the idea was to strip them down let my partner come in, build them back up, and then I'd come in with a closing day and build them up even farther. But Get ready to run out the door. Total. Get the field. Total. But dealers, many dealers misinterpreted the approach. Said, oh, you just try to embarrass me and try to, no, no, you didn't get it. You, you missed the whole point. Even today, I have people still missing the point. I mean, I could easily go in there and tell them how wonderful they are. I just won't do that. Yeah. But it's just not my nature. I don't, I don't know you call it tough love or whatever you want to call it. It is. Guys, this is what you have to do. Now, if you have a different approach to doing it, you go for it. But I'm not going to come in here and tell them a bunch of nonsense. Yeah. So that, that is confrontational, I yeah. guess. Yeah. Well, I did. I, did I love it, by the way. I, yeah. I've mentioned that you did. It's working for you. Yeah. The comment that I did get um, this week while we were down here was that, yes, Weber, very confrontational, would get in people's face. It wasn't, there wasn't escaping it. There, there was someone <laughs> who was going to get it. But uh, his comment also was there was a lot that are probably here today that aren't around if... They're not paying attention to what you're... Well, there was an individual in the front today, sitting in the front row, that I trained in 1986 at the pilot training for Case IH, mm -hmm. sat in the front row today, 14 years after he sat through the pilot training that we kicked off for Case IH in August of 86, September of 86. 14 years later, he contacted me and said, uh, I want to tell you, now, this is the year 2000, I want to tell you that that training was the best training that I've ever been through 14 years after. And I want to tell you, I wouldn't be in business today if it wasn't for you as a result of that training. And I said, you know, my quick response was, thank you so much for that quick feedback. I really enjoyed getting that 14 <laughs> years later. But the fact of the matter is, and we went on, he made two more acquisitions, and this is a guy that makes 28% return on assets. So I think those that listen to the message I don't care about them shooting the messenger or whatever the case may be. If that's their mindset and they walk, I'd look, I've never worried about losing clients. And I don't care if the clients are the manufacturers or the clients are the dealers. If they don't like it, they can go elsewhere. And look, there's a lot of other consultants out there. I'm sure they're wonderful people and I'm sure they're going to do a fantastic job. I'm here to help dealers be better than what they're, what they're performing. It's just the way, I, the way I roll. And I've loved every minute of it, by the way. That does it for part four of Principles of Dealership Management with Dr. Jim Weber. Thanks again to Premus by Basic Software for sponsoring this new series. Be sure to listen in next time when Dr. Weber talks about 20 groups and training. Until next time, I'm Kim Schmidt. Thanks for listening.